Well, good morning, fellowship. Let's stand and worship the Lord together. We worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet, we shout out. Celebrate this, sing it if you know it. We were the beggars, we were the beggars, but now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, but now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. So let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were, we were the beggars, but now we're.
We can stand here and sing, there's joy in the house of the Lord, amen. One of the biggest miracles, greatest miracles of the new covenant is Christ in me and Christ in you. And so we are the house now, amen. We are the temple and our joy is made complete in Jesus. Sing it with me, remember those. Remember those walls that we call sin and shame. They were like prisons that we could not escape. But he came and he died and he rose. And those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we call death and grave. They were like mountains that we
receive it. Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to the elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our body. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Please read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. If you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick up one at the information desk in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 11. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the process of recognizing new elders. Finally, we thank Scott Thompson and Roger Hill for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, please thank these gentlemen for their faithful service. On another note, a few of the buildings on our Rogers campus need some attention. The Family Center was completed in 1991. The Worship Center and Foyer were completed in 1999. That's a quarter of a century. The elders have approved moving forward with much needed improvements to those buildings. The cost is estimated to be approximately $4.5 million. We don't want to go into debt for this project and we have proven on initiatives of much larger scale that we can get this done if all our congregations work together. My wife Denise and I will be setting up monthly recurring gifts to do our part and I hope you will too. No gift is too large or too small. And remember, it's not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. On the giving page of our website, you will find capital improvements. You can make a contribution there or set up recurring gifts. We already have $1.3 million in donations, so we are well on our way. God continues to do great things through Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. Thank you for playing an active role in this great ministry. God bless you, everyone. Good morning, Fellowship. Hey, my name is uh, Caleb Freeman. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Rogers. And I just want to say, hey, if you're new, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're happy that you're here with us this morning. I hope that this would be a morning where you'd find some peace, that you could slow down a little bit, find some rest as you worship the Lord. I do want to let you all know a few things that are going on around here at, at Fellowship. And so I'd first like to make you aware that on December 5th, we have a young adults gathering in the courtyard. And so this is for our young adults. It'll be a, a night of worship. It'll be out in our courtyard. And it should be a really sweet evening, a time of worship, encouragement, 
and building community. And so if you're a young adult, I would love to invite you to join us. Maybe you have a young adult in your family. Man, would you invite them? It would be great for them to come out. Or perhaps, let me go here, you work with young adults. You see, we've noticed that there are a lot of people in this season of life who are moving to Northwest Arkansas and they're looking for a church home. They're looking for community or they're looking for a place to get plugged in. We would love for you to invite them. Now, when you invite them, you might wanna tell them to bring a coat because right now we plan on being outside. We're gonna be out in the courtyard, but we will have heaters. There'll be a barista there serving hot coffee, which I think will help keep us warm as well. It should be a really sweet evening. So invite your young adults. Young adults, we'd love to see you there. And I'm just gonna throw this out one more time. Last week, Sam gave a metric on how to know if you're a young adult or not. Remember, he said, if you gotta ask the question, you're not, don't show up. He even said, don't be creepy. I just think it would be good for us to remember what Sam said. That's important. But it can also be difficult because what I've noticed is that lately, Sam's been saying a lot of things. In fact, two weeks ago, he made fun of my beard. And I, I know, I thought it was interesting. So I went looking a little bit and I found a few pictorial gems that I'd like to show you. You see, this is an outdoor service a few years back and Sam looks good. He didn't mention this once two weeks ago. He just talked about mine. He didn't tell you he got asked to audition for Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. He just decided to slip that over. So if you want a picture of this, get out your phone, take it now because you'll never see it again. I'll probably be fired. I'm in trouble. This is your last chance. Hey, if you're like me, uh, you probably started thinking about Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. If you're like anybody else from Branson, you started thinking about Christmas before Halloween started. Either camp you fall in, it's almost here. And so next week we begin the Advent season, we start our Advent series. And so if you have a family and you'd like to join us next week, we'll have two services at 9 and 10.30 in the Student Center West building. That's a family service. Come, worship together, bring your kids, your family, and worship the Lord together as we begin to celebrate in the Advent season. In fact, it's December 3rd that all of Advent will begin, and so any information that you need for this season, you can find online. You can even look and begin to make your Christmas Eve service plans. If you wanna know what time we'll be having services, you can find that online. You can sign up for our devotionals, which you can find on any app that you listen to your podcast or your music on. I'd really encourage you, sign up, subscribe for these daily devotionals. We've put a lot of effort into them and I think it would bless you in this season of Advent. As we get ready to worship this morning, would you pray with me? Well, Father, we come before you now and we ask, would you just calm our hearts? Would you ease our minds as you guide us into your presence this morning? Jesus, help us to hear and to know your voice that we might respond to you in worship. And as we see you clearly this morning, Lord, we offer you ourselves. We pray this thing in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Fellowship family, we're uh, ending our Philippians series today. Um, the one we've been in, we've been in Philippians. And so as, um, as you sit and as we sing, um, I just want to encourage you in this moment just to consider or think about what maybe the Lord has shown you um, in this series. Um, we're going to do song called To Live as Christ, and it's a, a fellowship, uh, fellowship worship original. <laughs> it was written for this series uh, specifically, and, um, you know, I know, 
I think what the Lord has just reminded me of is just, I can just, he's, he's trustworthy. He's not a liar. He doesn't quit. The cross worked. Uh, and so we can trust Jesus. Um, we can tr trust Christ for us and Christ in us and Christ through us um, from start to finish. Uh, for salvation, for forgiveness, to be justified, to be right, to be okay. Uh, we can trust Jesus um, for uh, fruit bearing. We can trust Jesus Christ in us, and um, one day when we hit those pearly gates, whatever that looks like, um, we can trust Jesus even still when we get those brand new bodies. I know the older I get, the uh, more I look forward to a brand new body, whatever that looks like. I have a feeling it's going to look and feel a lot better than this. Um, so anyway, so as we sing contemplate, think, uh, think about what the Lord's shown you this series.
outside of you I found nothing of measure But no more I thirst And no more I seek For I found your mercy is all that I need I've tasted this world Tried every pleasure Outside of you I found nothing of measure No more I thirst No more I found your mercy is all that I that you satisfy Jesus thank you father that your grace is completely 100% sufficient in our lives we love you thank you I rest my soul on Jesus when the mountains shake I put my trust in Jesus the moment I awake. And when my soul is lost, we can trust Him. He will be my rock. So my vision be Christ alone this grace is all we've got his love is like a mighty ocean his love for me will never stop oh his arms are strong enough to By the grace of God. So high upon his shoulders, safely brought this far. Helper of my 
Satisfies. Sing it if you know. You are the passion. You are the passion of my life, Lord Jesus. You are the soul within my soul. My strength, my hope, my all and all is you. Jesus, you are.
by the grace of God. Amen, fellowship. You may be seated. Well, in 1965, the Rolling Stones, they released a a song that maybe has one of the most well-known guitar riffs of all time. It was incredible. You probably still know it today. And matter of fact, that song was so powerful, not only was the guitar kind of lead powerful, but the lyrics, they captured the essence or the heart of the culture. Well, let's see if you can guess it. Play it for me. You recognize it? Raise your hand if you know the the name of it. Somebody shout it out. Yeah, Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones, or actually maybe even more well-known as I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Hey, tell these guys thank you. That's pretty scaled back, wasn't it? I thought it was going to come a little stronger than that. I think they they pulled the sound down on you, didn't they? We've got a talented band. I was talking to Aaron backstage. He's been, yeah, he's been, they've been leading worship, or he's been... He's been playing guitar here at Fellowship for like longer than I've been on staff. And he's very talented, so I love that. And they're willing to do whatever we ask him to do. But I want you to see, here's the lyrics of the, here's the, lyrics of the song. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. And you see, I think the heart of that, 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 that captured the culture in the 1960s is still true today. That's why we love the song today. But it was true in the first century, and that's why the Apostle Paul in our passage today, he's actually writing about satisfaction or contentment. And they struggle with satisfaction. They struggle with contentment. I think it's, it's kind of innate in us. It's not natural for us to be satisfied. It's not natural for us to be content. And though, therefore, the words just, they capture us. Even with a guitar riff, it captures us. Hey, we're finishing our series in the book of Philippians today. Can you believe it? It's amazing. Yeah, you can put that book on the shelf and be ready for the next one. Actually, next week we're entering Advent. It's Christmas time. Are you ready for Christmas? Yes, it's Christmas time. And so we're going to have a great time of the year. But today we're finishing our study in the book of Philippians. We're going to talk about contentment. And Paul is actually going to teach us the secret of contentment. You'll be able to walk out of the service today and you'll have everything you need to be able to live a life content in Christ. Isn't that amazing? In the holiday season, I don't know about you, but the Black Friday ads were coming and you will be able to live content. But I think after that rock and roll music, we should probably start our time in the teaching off in prayer. What do you think? Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful for how you provide for us. We're so grateful for our talented um, musicians and just, just all that they can do and what they love to do. And Lord, we're so grateful for your word, um, this study of the book of Philippians. You've taught us just through this, even thinking back on those memorable markers for us. Lord, I pray that you would bring those back. Lord, I pray today as we close the book out, Lord, you would, you would teach us. Lord, you would help us learn to be a content people, a people who are satisfied in you. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles or your electronic device to Philippians chapter four. We'll be picking up our study in verse 10, and it starts off like this. 
I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that you at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. So Paul, right off the gate, starts talking about, right out of the gate, starts talking about this idea of contentment. But there's a little bit what seems like a backhanded compliment. You see that at the beginning? I think it's a potential misunderstanding. He says, I rejoice greatly that the Lord at last renewed your concern for me. It's almost like they stopped caring about him and then they started caring again, isn't it? But that's not it at all. If you look at the text, it says, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And we don't really know what was going on there. Maybe they didn't know where he's at. Maybe the, the you know, email was down for a while or something, but they weren't able to show the opportunity. To, they didn't have the opportunity to show their concern for him. And he's, he's rejoicing that, that it's, it's been renewed that they've been connected together again. So there's a potential misunderstanding there, but he really saying, hey, you've, you've always been concerned about me. You just didn't have the opportunity to show it. But he's saying, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. And then look at verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. You see that? He, he, he learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. You see, there's a secret to being content. And Paul's saying, I know it, and I want to teach it to you. What was true in the first century was also true in 1965, and it's true today in the 21st century. I know what it is to be in need, he says. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of contentment. I'm gonna give you two principles, I think, that kind of incorporate this secret of contentment, and then I'm gonna give you three practices. And all together, you put it all together, I think it's kind of the secret recipe for being content. I think it's what Paul's talking about to us. And so I wanna read verses 12 and 13 again, and I want you to look for this, that contentment is not contingent upon your circumstance. What Paul is saying, it has nothing to do with your situation. And I think for that, it's very challenging. It's almost mind-blowing. He's saying, contentment is not contingent upon your circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, well-fed, hungry, living in plenty, or want. He's saying it's not contingent upon that. But there is something it is contingent upon. And he talks about in just a minute. And I know, I know in a room this size, there are people in need. You, you, are, you are in a place in your life where you're in material need, but I think there's actually a second category of people who are in, in this country and in this time in history in northwest Arkansas who are just living in abundance, living in abundance. Matter of fact, Dr. Bailey last week, you might remember, he said that if you're making $60,000 a year or more, you are living in the top 1% of the world in wealth. And so if we had a show of hands that so many would fit into that top 1%, that's abundance. And Paul actually gives some instructions for those living in abundance when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I wanted us to look at that. He says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. You see what he says about earthly wealth? It's uncertain. 
Don't put your hope there. But put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So our hope shouldn't be here. Our hope should be there in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life, the life that is the true life. You see, he gives us a recipe for living in abundance. We are not conceited about our wealth. We do not fix our hope on uncertain riches. We enjoy the things God gives us. We are rich in good works. We are generous and ready to share. We store up eternal treasures. We don't store up treasures on this earth. It's not wrong to save, but your focus is on treasures in heaven. Look back at the passage. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Underline that. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hunger, hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And then he gives, I think, is the foundational principle. It's the one, the principle that every football player seems to know. That they point to the Lord and kind of point to their, their tattoo just at the right time, don't they? But it's really not about that at all. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, true contentment is only found in Christ. I'm waiting for one of those guys when they get, you know, sacked in the end zone. Then they do this, you know. Or maybe a lineman that misses a block, and right after he misses the block, he does this. You know, pointing to the tattoo. No, it's contentment. Whether in plenty or need, he says, I can do all this, whatever God has called me to do, whatever God has called you to do, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. You see, Christ provides the strength to do whatever God has called you to do, to be content with whatever you have. This Christ strengthening is found throughout the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 6 and in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 4. It's all over the scriptures. The Christian life is not about being in need or about being in plenty. It's about being strengthened for what God has called you to do through Christ. It's not contingent upon your circumstances. It's only contingent on Christ. It's only found in Christ. So in addition to these two principles, there's also a practical side of this, and I think this will be really helpful for us. Stay in there in verse 12 and 13. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. What do you see there is this contentment thing, it's actually a learned thing. That children don't come out of the womb just automatically content, do they? No, more, me, I, we don't, we're not naturally content. Paul's saying it's a learned behavior. It's like a muscle that needs to be strengthened. And then you see a, a second principle, I'm sorry, practice there. Contentment is meant to be practiced with other people. It's not meant to be practiced alone. Look at the pronouns here. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance, With the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. In a world that is consumed with pronouns, Paul gives us a ton of personal pronouns. He says, I, you, your, my, me. You see, contentment is meant to be practiced. And and, and, and in order to be content, you've literally got to be practicing living life with other people. It's not meant to be lived in isolation. And then lastly, the practice there, contentment is meant to be practiced through giving and receiving. You see that? He, he says, share in my troubles. He says that, that, that you are the ones who, who give, gave, and received. It's meant to be giving and receiving to practice through that. Christians should live life with a readiness to give and a readiness to receive. That's why I love giving to short-term mission trips. I love when our students go on short-term mission trips. I love when families, I think there's some families getting ready to go on short, some short-term mission I love giving to those things. Because not only do, do, I know I've seen my children's lives change through that, I've seen our lives change through that, but, but then I get a fraction of the action of what they're doing. I get to be involved with what, what, what God's going, doing through them. I love giving to that. Now, don't everyone send me a support letter. But I love supporting our global workers. I love supporting the college workers. I love for us being a generous people and saying, hey, we're involved. We believe in what God's doing through you and with you. But in order to live that way, you actually have to live within your means to be able to be generous, don't you? I remember years ago when Sherry and I were first married, um, a few years into our marriage, we were being led by God. And we were praying about this. And we were being led by God. And she wanted to be at home for a season with our uh, newborn daughter. And so we we're processing through that. We wanted that. And so we were praying about it. But it just didn't seem financially possible. And so we were praying about, Lord, you know, the numbers don't add up. And I'm not sure how this is going to work out. This is how we feel like you're leading us. But we're not, we don't know how this is going to happen. And I'm telling you, it was miraculous that I was actually working in the business world at the time. And I started interviewing for other jobs that paid a lot more. And I got offered one of them. And I didn't want to take the job, but it paid a lot more. And I just went into my boss's office and said, hey, I've got offered a job that I don't want to take. But it's paying a lot more than this job. And my boss picks up the phone, talks for a minute, and hangs up and goes, well, I can't remember if they met it or, or, or exceeded it or something. But it was incredible. In that moment, the Lord just provided exactly what we needed. It was over half her salary. I was like, man, I should have asked for more. <laughs> it was so cool to see God provide for that. And then I started, it's funny because it was, I felt really blessed for about a month. And then I started thinking, man, I could have been making more all that time. Like, this is incredible. But, but it's interesting to put yourself in a position of giving and receiving and you're waiting for the Lord to provide so you can be generous. And what you start to recognize is God usually provides through other people. It's powerful through prayer and through people. But we're called to live within our margin. It's interesting, when I came on staff about 20 years ago now, and kind of went through the same thing that, that, that it may be surprising to you, but the church was not going to pay me as much as the business world was. It just, I actually wasn't even, you know, that qualified for my church job. And so, you know, it, it's going to be another hit. How are we going to do this? And I remember us praying and praying, and we literally put our house up and said, Lord, we don't know how this is financially going to work, but we're going to say, we don't have to have this house. We're, we're willing to step away from this house if that's what we need to do. 
And it was really cool to watch God provide. Sherry actually took a job, a kind of a little part-time job, helping launch another church, doing their childcare on Sunday nights that met here. Now it's a thriving church. She helped start a church on Sunday nights, and the kids and I would have mac and cheese and peas and do our time together. It was really cool. But the Lord provides through those times, through giving and receiving. And Paul tells us the godly motive behind giving and receiving. Look at verse 17. He says this, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to to your account. Now, it's interesting here. I think there's a second potential misunderstanding. Misunderstanding is they could kind of say, hey, Paul's money hungry. Some, some, some uh, workers who are supported call this being addicted to other people's money. Maybe Paul's addicted. No, he's not desiring your gifts. He really means this. He, he's not desiring your gifts. He, he wants more to be credited to their account. What's really interesting here is that word is not what I thought it would be. The word there is actually the word logos, which may be familiar to some of you. It's not a, a, so much an accounting term as it is a, a term like the word word or testimony. But Paul's saying is here, I want this to be credited to your testimony. I want this to be credited to your word. I want you to have a fraction of the action. I have received full payment and have, have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you have sent, the fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He wants more to be credited to their account. It's interesting, the same Greek word, Logos, there, um, is used in Romans 14. It says this, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Then in verse 12 he says, So then each of us will give an account. A a Logos, a word. An accounting of our ministry on earth. Do you know that there will be a time that all believers in Christ will stand before the Lord and give an account for your life? And it's the same Greek word as Paul's talking about there of giving an account. I want this to be credited to your account. And now, don't make a mistake. This is not the, uh, the judgment where did I do enough to get in. No, if you believe in Christ, you, you, you're in. But there will be this time you stand before, they call it the Bama seat, and you will give an account to Christ for what you did with what he gave you, your time, your talent, and your treasure. 2 Corinthians captures this. Verse, chapter 5, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul is saying, I want to give you credit to your account, to your word. I want you to be involved. I want you to have a fraction of the action. So there's kind of two sides of the contentment coin. One side's contentment. The other side is this generosity. It's, it's this giving. And once you've discovered a life of giving and receiving, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. If you want to read more about it, look at Luke 19, the parable of the talents. But you need to understand this isn't that the great white throne judgment. This is a believer's judgment where you stand before the Lord and he kind of measures your ministry. In antiquity, they talk about this Bema seat is used. It's not like a a courtroom judge. Don't imagine that. It's more like a a judge at an athletic competition. They actually sit on a raised platform, and they're they're viewing the competition, and the judge's job um, is to decide whether you competed according to the rules and to distribute the crown, 
or the victory. That's the judge's job, to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Psalm 103 can put some peace in your heart as this starts to cause some consternation. It says, He, God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Amen? Amen. So that's not that judgment. But there is a judgment where you go before the Lord and he says, what'd you do with what I gave you, your time on earth, your, your, your gifting, your talents, your treasure? What'd you do with that? And if that causes you a little angst, that's probably good. Because there should be some kind of adjustment in our lives on time. And this is one of those, passion, those passages. How do I live content? Well, you're generous. You're quick to give. You're also quick to receive, you know. That's, that's, sometimes receiving is harder than giving, isn't it? That we don't want to put ourselves in a position of receiving. We don't want to actually let others know. We want to be self-sufficient. And what, what Paul's saying here is actually your self-sufficiency should actually be a Christ-sufficiency. And oftentimes that sufficiency in Christ is provided through other people. That's a powerful thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I don't really have time to read it. But it's a powerful passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. He talks about this, this life lived that's built on the foundation of Christ. And some lives are, are precious jewels. And some lives are wood, hay, and straw. And he talks about this fire coming. And does, does your reward, does it make it through the fire? It's a very interesting passage. It's, it's debated by some how, how to interpret it. But it's powerful. Revelation 22 says this. It's very encouraging. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. There are some enemies of contentment. As a staff, we kind of workshop this this week. We, there are some enemies of contentment. Uh, things like comparison. It's a game you'll never win. You either end up comparing yourself to somebody that's worse off than you, and what, you end up prideful, don't you? Or you end up comparing yourself to someone who's better off than you in whatever category, and you end up envious. It's a game you'll never win. Entitlement, I deserve this. The scriptures are great about telling us what we really deserve, but they're also great about telling us what Christ has done for us. Entitlement is a lack of gratefulness. Perfectionism, are you one of those people? You can, you can, you can spell it out this way. When my blank is right or perfect, then I will blank. When my, my house is right or perfect, then I will host community group. When, my, when I've got this sin issue taken care of, when my, my life is perfect, then I will lead. It just goes over and over. And what happens is you will never be perfect this side of eternity. That's why it's called sanctification. You will always be a work in process. Another one's materialism. We all struggle with it. Anytime you take something and you put it above God, you know what that's called? Idolatry. We gotta make sure these things that we have in life, they, they don't take the place of God in our life. We, we workshopped a bunch more. One, one we were gonna call presenteeism. Uh, Caleb came up with this one. He called the Uncle Rico syndrome. You know who Uncle Rico is from Napoleon Dynamite? He was kind of a high school quarterback. He was stuck in the past. 
And some people live their life stuck in the past or stuck so far in the future that you can't be present. And that will kill your contentment. Look what Paul says to Timothy about this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. You know the story about the U-Haul and the hearse, right? But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and, and into many foolish and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of the money is the root of all kinds of evil. You notice what he says here, for the love of money. Money's, there's nothing wrong with money. For the love of money. Some people eager for money have wanted from the faith. It's very challenging to live in abundance. I think we live in a culture of abundance. Hey, some questions for assessment or change. If you find yourself in a tough place, there's some great questions for assessment. And usually it's really for anything, but they're great for contentment. Where am I? Okay, I'm in this place. It's really hard to give and receive right now. Why is that? Well, how did I get here? Well, I'm living in isolation or, you know what, I'm living above my, I'm, I'm spending more than I'm making, so I can't be generous. So how, what do, how do I adjust? Well, where do I need to be? I need to be at a place where I'm spending what I'm making and, or maybe I'm spending less than I'm making so I can give. What are the steps and tricks and, to get there? It's a great exercise. You gotta be honest with yourself. It'd be great to process this with another person in the context of community. How can you take those steps to get where you need to be? Hey, I want to give you um, an opportunity to do some of those assessments. I got two great ministry options. One is Align. It's a great class. I took it last year. It was just powerful for me. Align your finances with the heart of God. It'll be offered in February. You'll be able to sign up for it in the coming months. Don Reed's just, he's a quality guy to get to spend some time with. And then the other one, it's Freedom 5-1. They're one of our ministry partners. I ask all the couples that I marry to go through this time, and Sherry and I did this, have done this probably three times in our 20-something years of marriage, where we go sit in front of somebody, they don't tell you how to spend your money, they tell you, hey, this would be kind of help you budget. It's really helpful. I encourage you to do it. Um, it it's challenging, it's a little bit humbling, but it's really helpful. And we've done it several times in our married life. They're gonna be at Booth C in the foyer. They would love to meet with you. They're a financial coaching ministry, and they're a great partner with us here at Fellowship. Philippians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Look at the end of that. Paul talks about their gifts. They, they are a fragrant offering. They are acceptable sacrifice. They are pleasing to God. This, this giving, this generosity, and what a great season for this passage. And we're, we're headed into this season where we typically spend so much money on other things. What if you adjusted things this year? What if you did things a little bit different? Hey, I want to give you some opportunities to give, and um, just, just three opportunities. The first one, I think, is almost taken care of. You all have been so generous. Hundreds of, of students, this family's in transition, so we're, we're giving Christmas to these, these we partner with with schools, we're giving Christmas to these children who do not have a home basically right now. And you all have been so generous that uh, I think those are about taken care of. Beth Davies is going to be at the center booth in the foyer. If there's any more children to adopt, you can and take care of that. There's also on our newsletter this week, there will be um, 
Affordable Christmas. So we're partnering with uh, the Samaritan Church. It used to be called Samaritan Church. Now it's called Christ and Neighbor, helping provide Christmas for them um, and their families there. You can partner with that. The gift, something you heard about earlier. It's a great thing to give to. The elders decide inside of fellowship, outside of fellowship. Sam talked a couple weeks ago about the capital improvement campaign. Great way to give. We want to remodel the sanctuary and the, and the foyer and the family center. And when we get that money raised, we're going to do that. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. Contentment, contentment is not contingent on your circumstances. It's only found in Christ. It's a, it's a learned behavior meant to be practiced with people through giving and receiving. Now, if you're feeling a little bit just, oh, I don't know how, I'm feeling convicted right now, let me show you how Paul ends the passage. I think he knew this is how we would be. Look at verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glory in Christ Jesus. According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that powerful? It's not according to him. It's not according to you and me. It's according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. A grandmother called her granddaughter and asked her what kind of vegetables she liked because she wanted to have good vegetables that the granddaughter would eat for Thanksgiving. And as she was doing this, she said, hey, you know, what vegetables do you like? You like broccoli? Oh, yeah, I like broccoli. Good, okay. You like cauliflower? Yeah, I love cauliflower. Brussels sprouts? Yeah, well, this is going great. So the grandmother makes all these vegetables with other stuff for Thanksgiving. The granddaughter's there. She doesn't put one vegetable on her plate. And the grandmother asked, so why? You said you liked vegetables, but you, there's none of them on your plate. And the granddaughter said, well, I don't like them enough to put them on my plate and eat them, but I like them. And I kind of think that's how we deal with contentment. It is. It, yeah, I, I like that, but I don't want to put it on my plate. And no matter what's on your plate in 2024, you may be in abundance, you may be in need. I hope that we are a content people who are trusting the Lord. Horatio Spafford was a uh, successful businessman in Chicago in the late 1800s. Um, in 1870, their family suffered a series of traumatic events. So he was a father of five. He was married to his wife, Anna. He, he owned tons of property along the shores of, of Lake Michigan. And, and in early 1970, his son died, um, his only son. So he had five kids, one son, youngest child, died of scarlet fever. And then the next year, the great Chicago fire happened. And if you're history buff, you know that, man, it just devastated Chicago. And it, it financially left his family devastated. And a couple years later, as his family was going to go to visit Europe, actually they were going with the evangelist Dwight Moody um, to go in Europe, um, Spafford had to stay back. And so his wife and four daughters went on without him. And at some point in the Atlantic, their ship was struck by another ship, and it sank. And 200 and something people perished. It was the largest naval disaster in history up to that point until 40 years later, the Titanic came and sank. And four, Spafford's four remaining children, all his daughters, perished in that event. So only his wife was left living. And his wife sent him a telegram, and she said this, Saved alone, what shall I do? Isn't that amazing? And so, you know, as you would expect, he got on the next ship and he went over to, to Europe to be with his wife. And you can imagine it took some time. 
But at the point in the Atlantic where their ship sank, the, the captain of the ship he was on called him up and said, hey, we think this is where your children perished. And at that place in history and time, he, told, he wrote this song. And the lyrics you know so well, it is well with my soul. Can you imagine someone at that place in history being able to say, it is well with my soul. You see, I think he knew that true contentment, no matter the circumstances, whether in plenty or in want, is found only in Christ. Amen? Would you stand and sing with us? My 
We might not feel it, but we can believe it. Amen. All right. Prayer room is open. To my left and your right, the prayer room down the hall is open if you're wanting to pray with somebody today. If not, be safe as you leave, and we'll see you next week.